Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, Jim Nance, always appreciate that introduction. And today, you guys are going to hear Jim Nance as the guest, CBS Sports commentator. We've heard him for over three decades covering football, covering golf, NCAA. This guy's done it all. What is his perspective? Here we go. We just had a major championship, the second one of the year finished. Let's get straight into what is his perspective on what this means for the game he knows Bryson. He spent time with Bryson before his first Masters in 2016. Bryson went to his house in Pebble Beach and, and spent time with Jim, borrowed some books, tried to learn as much as he could about Augusta. So I have Jim kind of get us a perspective on, on Bryson and just kind of what he's gleaned, I guess, uh, from spending time with him. Beyond that, though, think about the Masters, right? Of course, you can't have Jim Nance on and not talk about the Masters. So we go in there, we preview what we're looking forward to and what we're expecting, of course, from this Masters and really the influence of the win. Bryson winning with all that distance, his first major, and now taking that to Augusta National. What's that going to look like? I think it's a big question we all have as Bryson gets ready to take on Augusta National. So we'll get into all kinds of topics here. I think you're going to love this particular episode and outside of that there's there's so much to get into with if you think about beyond the clubhouse and what this whole theme is about it's about the friendships right so think about the friendships he has oh my gosh he has spent with over the years with jack nicholas with arnold palmer some of the best and so i get into some of the pearls of wisdom that he has gotten from them what does he glean from those guys and also his dad, he wrote his book, Always By My Side, back almost, wow, 2007, something like that. It was about 13, 14 years ago. And we get into some of the, the wisdom his dad gave him. And, and now is really passing on to us through Jim. And I know that sounds very Jim Nancy, right? It sounds, that sounds a little uh, over the top. But you know what? There, There's a lot of truth that can be learned from people that were important to us in our life. And Jim has always said that that he's his dad's voice now, um, today. So anyway, a, a lot of good stuff in here. I think you're really going to like what we look at here with major championships. Of course, I got to ask him about Patrick Mahomes. I, I'm playing golf with him at Pebble Beach. Got to ask him about Tony Romo and his game, some of their good memories on the golf course. So you guys are really, I think, going to like this. If you don't, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll figure something out. But anyway, Beyond the Clubhouse here, Jim Nance joining the show, and uh, we'll get to it. Well, I'm glad to be joined by my next guest, Jim Nance. You've heard him on CBS Sports for so many years, and of course, he's going to be calling the Masters coming up in November, but we've just finished a U.S. Open, a major championship, second one of the year. Jim, how are you doing, and uh, how exciting was it to watch the U.S. Open? You know, I just love major championship golf. I try to watch every single shot, whether we're broadcasting or not. Uh, I'm just, I live and hang on every single moment of it. 
But the oddity for me at Wingfoot was it was a football weekend for me. So I was in Los Angeles calling the Chargers and Chiefs game. And pretty much for the first three days, I saw 99% of the coverage. But on the last day, I saw virtually none of it. So it broke my heart for a multitude of reasons. Again, because just as a passionate fan, I can't stand to miss anything. I want to know what's going on everywhere on the golf course. And number two, I've been a Wingfoot member for a quarter of a century, longer actually. And I treasure the place. And I wanted to see how it was going to play on Sunday. But hey, we have ourselves a, a new major champion. I can't say I'm surprised, but I'm excited for the game. And I can't wait to have the chance to call the next one in November. Yes, it's a big one coming up. We'll get to the Masters in a minute, but I got to ask you, Bryson DeChambeau, you have spent some good time with him in that very house that you're sitting in. Uh, (laughs) In 2016, I remember before his first Masters, what a player he was even at that point before he had turned pro. What are your impressions of Bryson as a person? To spending that time with him, what can you tell our audience that maybe they don't know about Bryson? They may pick up on this. It's pretty easy to see that he's driven. He's obsessed is a strong word. Obsessions are strong. But I would say that is probably the right word to describe his desire to be one of the greats in the game. Absolutely driven to be the best. I saw it in 2016 when he came to my house. He was out visiting some friends out in Pebble Beach, and he wanted to know if he could come by and talk a little bit about the Masters, the history, the golf course. Uh, I guess in his mind, he thought even talking to a sports commentator, if it helped him buy one shot at some point during the week, I can't imagine that it did. But uh, he felt like he wanted to know everything about the place. So uh, he came by in January of 2016 and we spent a couple of hours. Then he asked for my uh, book collection on Augusta, which uh, we boxed up and sent it home with him. He also wanted to know at the time if I had any DVDs of, of old broadcasts from the Masters. These days, of course, you can watch the Masters on YouTube. The, the club's given YouTube the, the right to, to release all of the Masters broadcasts of the past. But in 2016, that was not the case. So I gave him a, a good, I don't know, 10 years of Saturday and Sunday shows. And uh, he went back and looked at pin locations, the way putts were breaking, Uh, he read the books because a month later that same box came back to my doorstep and you could tell that he had spent some time just, you could see the way the books have been, but you could just see some of the page turns and some of the leaf covers and where he had them inside the books. He, he had spent some time going through it all. And he wrote the, a, a wonderful thank you note. He showed up at the masters in April, his last tournament as an amateur and through 35 holes until he got to the 18th tee on Friday, he was in second place alone. He ended up tied for 21st and came to Butler Cabin as the low amateur. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if, uh, Garrett, we see him back in Butler Cabin one of these days, maybe even soon, this time in a different capacity, maybe two chairs over to his left from what where he sat when he was the low amateur. Yes. Well, you would remember all those details because you've been there so many times at that moment for those champions. I have to ask you, the win for Bryson, what does it mean for the game of golf in terms of distance? And then as we look to Augusta, he's talked about driving at 13th hole, driving it out into the 14th fairway and having different strategies now with this newfound distance and strength. So what does this mean as we look ahead to Augusta and other places? I can totally see him doing that, by the way, just bombing it right over the corner and up into the 14th fairway, which gives you a very good angle looking down 
at the flagstick. There's no defense for that. There really isn't. What does it mean to the game? Uh, and I was reading an article earlier today from, about, that Hale Irwin commented about how awesome uh, and appreciative he was of the effort it took, but there was apprehension. I think this is like new territory. I wrote about this in the August issue of Golf Digest. We had broadcast the Rocket Mortgage Classic from Detroit Golf Club, and we saw this same kind of display. And by the way, he was battling Matthew Wolf there. Uh, just as he would at Wingfoot several months later. But I, I came back after that tournament and sat down in about one hour, wrote a column. It usually takes me days and days to ponder what I had just seen in Detroit. I said, make no mistake about it. He is driven to be the best. And he, what he's out to do is he's out to dominate. And um, I pointed out that he had not had a top 10 in a major at the time of this writing but I expected that to change soon. And I even made that proclamation that I thought he would be in Butler Cabin one of these days. Of course, he finished top five. I believe it was fourth at, uh, at Harding Park, had a high finish there, and now he's got a win. And uh, look, I have a son who's four years old. What am I going to do as a parent? I'm going to make sure that he finds the love for the game. It's not me forcing my love of the game on him, but I, it's there already. He wants to hit balls. He's in school right now. We're going to hit balls this afternoon. I am definitely going to encourage him to hit it as hard as he can because it's the future of the game. You know, the game has always been, if you look in the modern era, dominated by the guy that was the longest hitter at the time or one of the longest hitters, whether it was Tiger, whether it was Jack, whether it was Arnold Palmer. Greg Norman was a great driver, an accurate driver, but a long driver. Um, that's what it takes to win. And I know there's apprehension because – Accuracy should count, but given where the game is today, he's rebuilt his body, he's re rebuilt his game, and you know he's taken he's taken his world to new heights. And now I think he's going to drag the world of golf with him because I think a lot of people are going to approach it differently now. Definitely. And the other thing about him, his work ethic. I was out at his golf club, Dragonfly Golf Club in Madera, California, just in inland from you, about an hour and a half. And he was there on Christmas Eve working on the range with Mike Shy, his coach. This guy's dedication is unbelievable, and I'm glad that you've spent so much time with him. I want to go now as we transition. We talked about Augusta, and let's look at more broadly at Augusta. What a Masters we had last year, 2019. Mm -hmm. For me, that I'm going to take that to my grave. Just the, the moments of talking to people, talking to players, the moments – that we saw that week, what is going to stand out to you that maybe we haven't heard so much already in stories you've shared in media? About 2019, you know, there's something there, there are it's a rare occasion, but there are several events I've done in my life, I had the blessing of being there to document these stories in sport that they almost as time marches on, don't feel real. If that makes any sense. Did that really happen? I mean, how in the world did that happen? Uh, I think about that with Jack in 86. Did that really happen? Was I really there? I mean, now it almost feels like something I read in a book. I was a 26-year-old kid just a few years out of college, and it doesn't feel real to me now. And I have to look at the DVD and pop it in and hear my voice and kind of get lost in that moment again and try to dial that feeling in again. And I think 19, 2019, what happened with Tiger, I'm going to always look back and, and wonder, did that really happen? That scene at 18, that Tiger had been so long since he had won a major. I mean, it was, 
I think a lot of people forget. I mean, I remember so much detail about it. I could drive you crazy. But the fact that we were on early that day for the first time ever, tea times were moved up and our broadcast began at nine o'clock and I was at the compound before the sun came up. And I knew the tiger was going to factor in because, you know, there was a wild chase there at the top with uh, Molinari and Finau and you know, Dustin ends up making a run. Kepka ends up making a run. Xander Shoffley. There's all these guys that are in the mix. Uh, but I just feel so fortunate to to see it, to be an eyewitness to it. And I'll never forget Nick saying, Faldo, my partner, saying after just after it happened, we laid out after the ball went in the hole. And we didn't say anything for several minutes. It was the right thing to do. It was never anything I had to contemplate. It was pure instincts that the moment's so big, anything you try to say over that scene is going to sully the moment. So we laid out, shut up, and then finally some words were spoken. And Nick said, that is right there, James. That is the greatest scene ever in the history of the game. There will never, ever, ever be anything that could compare to that, which is kind of a cool thing. I mean, it's an awesome statement by Nick. It's a little bit of a downer when you realize it's all downhill after this. We're never going to have <laughs> a high watermark like that again. Why keep playing? Right. Yeah, why keep playing? We're done. I mean, let's just like close the chapter on the sport and just call it a day. But no, it was um, – it's just insanely special to, to, to see. You know, we had the occasion – I know you know this, but – with the Masters in, in the, the spring being postponed, we still had to fill the programming for those allotted hours uh, in April. And Tiger joined me off this very computer, off of Zoom, just as we're doing right now. And we did a look back at the win. As one of my favorite things I've ever had the occasion to do with Tiger was going back and doing four or five segments where we not only called his action, but we took the broadcast feed killed the audio and this did time and time again, you know, play by play and analysis. And he was brilliant. And uh, he also got emotional at the end. I mean, it was like more emotion than I've ever seen from Tiger. And that was a special show. So I can't wait to get back there. It's going to be here soon. And then we're going to be right back five months later. I mean, we're going to have two in five months. I made this statement. And I think we talked about it maybe in San Francisco at the PGA, but in leading up to the PGA, we did a media conference call. And I just kind of volunteered this, but I said, this is the most exciting stretch in the history of the game. Now that sounds like on the surface hyperbole, but you know the game as well as anybody I've ever met. You know that we had gone 13 months before Harding Park without a major being contested. And now we were about to embark on seven in 11 months. It's a fair statement to make that it's the most challenging, exciting, in some ways, maybe the most important stretch the game has ever seen. So we're two legs into the seven. And look what we have. We have Morikawa at 23. We have Bryson. Both of these guys could be dominant and will be dominant players. Morikawa, 23. DeChambeau at 27, they take the first two legs of the seven major championship stretch. It's a big, big time right now. This bubble we're in, I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the 11-month window. 
It's huge for the game. And we're seeing the transition to the great young player getting credentials. And I expect something like that to continue at Augusta. Well, you said great young players, obviously. And then there's 21-year-old Matthew Wolf in his first ever U.S. Open finish is second. So there's so many players on the cusp. I want to ask you about a player who is actually an NFL guy and he's your uh, side-by-side analyst, uh, Tony Romo, on the golf course. We know his passion for the game. You see him at Pebble and all these events, winning a couple times in Tahoe. What is your favorite memory on the golf course with Tony Romo? We've played a lot. Um, he's just as outgoing as he is on the air. That's the way he is off the air. He's just a fun guy to be around, dinners, hanging out. It's great fun. But on a golf course, he is super like focused, laser focused. He's not a uh, Lee Trevino type guy on the golf course, you know, where he wants to engage. I mean, he's so into the swing. He's so into like what everybody in the group are, uh, will be doing too, miss hitting shots and like giving you a lesson. I mean, he truly is like he can break down a play <clears throat> and say, this is going to go here and watch this guy over in the slot and that all that. He has the same ability to see things in a golf swing. It's extraordinary. I mean, he has studied the game. I mean, there can't be – we talked about Bryson. If, 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 if Tony was a tour player, I would say he would be top 10 in terms of understanding the swing and most determined. It's just, this, is a, this is an everyday part of his life. Now, he just had surgery, had a, had a bone spur in his uh, left hand. I probably shouldn't be divulging that, but he's on IR right now as far as golf for a few, probably a few months. But uh, he can seriously play. One time, one time we were at uh, Bel Air Country Club, and Tony and I took on Al Michaels and Jack Wagner, who's won the club championship there a gazillion times. Jack can really play. He's a wonderful guy. And Al's one of my closest friends in the world. And, of course, there's a lot of handicapping going on. But Tony and Jack are similar, similar level players. Basically, Al and I just stood off to the side and watched them decide the match. And uh, it was good fun. We happened, to, we happened to win that day, but it all had to do with number nine, uh, taking care of business. And the other thing, I, my favorite memory is that he made a hole in one in my backyard. He's on the Rock of Fame. So, yeah. you know, he's one yeah. of 15 people to ever make – a hole in one in the backyard, and um, it's nice to have Tony's name up there, immortalized. Yes. Well, you speak about that rock, uh, rock of fame, of course, Patrick Mahomes. You had spent time pre-COVID right before it hit with <laughs> yes. him. Thirty-six holes. You hadn't played thirty-six holes since you were at the University of Houston, rooming <laughs> with your boy Freddie Couples. So tell me, tell our listeners about the, the moments with Patrick Mahomes. What stands out in terms of a, a fun moment with him, and how did he do on number seven on the par three at Pebble? Well, we started our day uh, with 18 at Cypress Point. That's a good thing. And the first hole, he hit an iron shot over the green onto the side slope that leads up to the second tee. The hole was, was a back left placement. So he's got no green to work with. He's hitting off a hill like this, trying to get the ball up in the air and somehow gently roll it through the fringe and you know the, the 99% of the time that ball is going all the way down off the front of the green and down the fairway of course he chipped it in he chipped it in so the first wow. hole I saw Mahomes play 
he made um, he made a hail mary uh, chip for for a three, so he's one under just like that. But we played eighteen at Cyprus, and then he said, "You know, I'm playing eighteen more this afternoon." His great friend Jake was with him from Adidas um, and Jake Parks, and and they said, "Let's go play eighteen more." And I thought, "I'm not sure I can handle that," but invitation I couldn't refuse. We had so many laughs and good times going that day that we played. We played both courses, and then he came by the house. He really had a strong desire to, to, to try to make the Rock of Fame. Uh, he had just been several weeks before the Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champ, but I know he was joking. At least I think he was, but he said being on the Rock of Fame at one point, he said, would be bigger than being the Super Bowl MVP. So <laughs> I don't buy it. But uh, he, the, the first shot, I didn't have the video rolling in time, and it lipped out. And then he probably gave it another good 30 swings. And um, he came close a few times, but never closer than that first one. In his own words, I, I was uh, on a Zoom with him last week. He will be back. He will be back. It's important to him to get on that Rock of Fame. And with his determination, he's a DeChambeau-like uh, football version of uh, determination to be the best. He will. It, whatever he does. If he wants to come back and try to knock it in on his next visit, he's always welcome. And I would say he'll do it. He'll, he'll make it. Definitely. Well, here in these last uh, four minutes or so, I just wanted to do some rapid fire with you. Start with your, start with your dad. Uh, you, obviously your book, Always By My Side, chapter three, you, when you were deciding Houston, we're going to make the move to Salt Lake City. You said dad intuitively knew that I would best grow personally and professionally by leaving my comfort zone. What can we all as an audience learn about leaving our comfort zone? Just a chance to grow, chance to see different cultures, experiences, particularly when you're young, you got to take some risks. That was a hard one for me. I loved Houston, major market, had a good job there, was working for a lot of different folks, including the CBS radio and television affiliates there. And now I'm going to go to a midsize market. Is this the right thing to do? But there was play-by-play -play opportunity up in Salt Lake and a terrific station and an incredible group of people I got to work with. So it ended up definitely expanding my horizon. And I, I grew as a professional. And two and a half years after I was in Utah, I got hired by the network. Yeah, big moment for you. Uh, what's the first, very first golf memory you ever had? And this is coming from Scott Rivers uh, on Facebook. Scott, my first memory is actually not playing, but tagging along with my parents outside of Charlotte, where I was born and raised at a little course that was brand new called Pine Lake Country Club. And the, the charter members uh, went through the fairways before they had even seated it and formed a single line all across the width of the fairway. And there were wheelbarrows behind that line of people. And you would you would pick up rocks and stones and throw them in the wheelbarrow. We were clearing. We basically were like laying out and route, not routing, but laying out uh, our own golf course. I say our golf course. I was three or four years old, but I, that's my first memory is just tagging along with my, with my parents. Yes. My first golf memory is probably putt-putt. You remember the old putt-putt courses, orange and white, where you can play all the <laughs> angles and all that? I was really, really big time into that one. I was probably five or six. Um, but I, man, I, I fell in love with the game right away. And we talked about your dad's advice, life advice there. What about Jack Nicholas? What's been a good nugget from him in about 20, 25 seconds from him? 
spent a lot of time with Jack and it's been great having him in my home. He's hit a lot of shots, by the way, in the backyard on maybe three different occasions. He's hit the flag stick a few times. I so desperately want a plaque up there with Jack's name on it. Hasn't happened. By the way, Arnold Palmer's last golf shot he ever struck in California was, was back there and he knocked it that close. That would have also been sweet to have gone in. Sorry for the name dropping. But Jack, if Jack and Barbara, the thing I learned most from them, I'm in awe of the fact that I'm around the greatest player of all time, but I'm more in awe of the relationship between the two of them. I look at that and the way the love they have for one another and their kids and as they've gotten later in life, their love is still so strong, 60 years now. Um, I'm in love with Jack and Barbara's relationship and that their, their friendship is hugely important in my world. Briefly, uh, you mentioned Arnold Palmer. What have you learned most from him, the wisdom of Arnold? Just the graciousness with which you treat people. Kindest guy ever at, at greeting a stranger. Just brilliant the way that he took it on for the great majority of his life. Every time he stepped foot into the public arena, which would be every day, he took every picture, signed every autograph. He did it with a smile. He made people feel like they were important to him. And it was a beautiful thing to witness. Absolutely as big a heart as you could ever find. He loved people. Closing here, very last question. Uh, when you and Courtney are watching TV at home, you're watching Netflix or Amazon Prime, what's a favorite go-to show for you guys? Well, it had been Homeland forever. You know, uh, we, we loved uh, Carrie Matheson. I think that was her name, the uh, character by Claire Dane. She's unbelievable and uh, the way they wrote that show, uh, extraordinary. So that that was in the past. Breaking, Breaking Bad was another one. Uh, we're looking for that next show, by the way. We even talked about it last night. We like Billions, um, but we're going to find the next one. That That's kind of our little source of entertainment. We get the kids to bed and we watch a one-hour episode and look forward to having another one the next night. Well, Jim, always appreciate your time, and thanks for coming uh, joining me here on Beyond the Clubhouse today. Garrett, you're just one of the finest people I know. I've watched you since the first time you showed up on a CBS compound, and I know how much the game of golf means to you. You have relationships out there with a lot of people because your integrity comes screaming through, and people trust you. And uh, I'm going to enjoy watching your career continue to soar and I have great belief in your ability to do whatever it is. Maybe one day you're sitting in the chair that I occupy right now. I think you could be doing anything you want, and I'm going to be championing you every step of the way, my friend. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate it. Appreciate you, pal. Well, that was very nice, Jim Nance, there to join us here on Beyond the Clubhouse. Hope you guys liked it. I mean, there's some really good information, I thought, looking ahead to Augusta. His thoughts on that, and of course the distance debate with Bryson and, and what he was able to do winning that U.S. Open as he looks ahead to Augusta. These next seven majors, so many big events coming up. I really liked from that interview, I loved hearing a little more about Patrick Mahomes' game. The chip in on the first hole, you gotta love it. This guy was the... the had just won the Super Bowl, what, just over a month before that. And there he is, the very first hole Jim Nance ever sees him play golf. Chips in, are you kidding me? Unbelievable stuff. So, uh, of course, Tony Romo, the stories there and, and the, the wisdom you got from Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer. Jim, Jim Nance, think about this. 
if you could be a fly on the wall, Jim Nance has been a, in some ways a fly on the wall and some of the best people in all of sports for 35 plus years. He really has had a great opportunity. And on top of that, he's built trust with those people. So he's been more than the fly on the wall when we think about it from that perspective. So really liked it. Love the questions I got from you guys. I wish I could have gotten to more, but thanks again. Chick Hernandez there on Instagram. So many others. Uh, I think of like Chris Eddy. Thanks for the questions there as well. Uh, Chuck Adams. Some really good ones. Tony Deer on Facebook. I really appreciated that. Steve Vivian. And it was good just to, to get some insight, I think, just from uh, his first round, uh, first time ever on a golf course there. Scott Rivers, thanks again for that question there on Facebook. But again, with social media, keep the questions coming. At Garrett Johnston Golf on Instagram. And as you guys know, Facebook, Garrett Johnston. And also Beyond the Clubhouse, the Facebook page for the show. And then on Twitter, at Garrett Johnston Golf and at Beyond Clubhouse. So, so much to talk about. Always love engaging and and kind of getting into to current topics, uh, especially with these guests. Like, what's pertinent to them? What's something that we're interested in? And I think Jim did a great job of uh, telling us a little bit more about Mahomes, a little bit about, about Romo. So many people. Think about it. Who wouldn't want to be Jim Nance for a day, right? Call an NFL game, maybe play Pebble Beach that night at home where you live. Some pretty cool stuff for him. So all the best to Jim Nance. And again, thank you for joining me here on this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse.